Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to watch Doc Dance apparently on camera. Oh no, you're done? <laughs> All right, so we get to introduce you to the legendary, the one, the only, the wordsmith extraordinaire, Miss Julia V. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you for that introduction. I love being the wordsmith. <laughs> extraordinaire. You're extraordinary at it. So uh, can you introduce yourself for our listeners and viewers if they uh, they haven't heard of you? So I... Um... I've been writing military sci-fi and recently dipping my toe in the waters of urban fantasy. Uh, I have a co-author, his name is Ken Bebel, and the two of us grew up writing sword and sorcery together when we were 13. So fast forward, we're like middle-aged, we have kids, but you know, this is our passion. So this is what we do in the evenings is we're pounding out the words. And um, so we're onto our third book in our urban fantasy series. But um, I would say that our first love as, as writers was uh, science fiction. And that's why we started with Cold War. Okay. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found her. So I actually found her, uh, found Julia in a writer's groups that we're both in all over the interwebs uh, and then visited her, her website because I like the cover. Um, that was back when everyone had that Space Marine on the cover, and hers was a little bit different. Um, so we met in Vegas for a convention for super secret spy stuff we can't talk about. And since then, we sort of stayed in touch. And uh, when we started getting back into it, we finally made our schedules work and get her on because she's in California time. So it's like another planet or something. So making schedules work with kids and, and all that has been a little challenging. What about you, Doc? Were you Hi. at the super secret spy convention? No, I was not at the super secret spy convention. Um, unfortunately, I am not of the character class for the super secret spy convention. But if they ever invited me, I would totally be willing to go. Um, but having said that, what how I became familiar with Julia V is you said, I have a military sci-fi author I want to bring on. Okay, yeah, JR. She is really cool. Wait, she? I want to end on that. <laughs> And so then it became more complicated trying to schedule because we had to do it around my crazy work schedule and all the Viking shenanigans I have. So speaking so. of crazy work, you have not blown up the lab this week, right? So we're still good. Sure. Okay. Sure. Plead the fifth. We'll go on. We'll move on. You get, ask, you get to ask her the religion question. <laughs> yeah, they got insurance, right? We do have insurance. It's not my job to blow up the lab. It's the uh, lab engineer. When Ryan breaks the lab, we'll we'll all go home early. Um, <laughs> so let's see. What's your religion? Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Um, I grew up on Star Trek with my dad. So, yes. <laughs> so that was like my early sci-fi influence. So... Okay, now our fantasy ones. I totally thought you were going to use the other ones because we made a list of all the iconic properties for fantasy and sci-fi so we could mix it up. And she paused for a second. I'm like, oh, oh, she's going for it. She's going, oh, same old, same old. <laughs> oh, Jared is going to eat snow one day. Um, <laughs> let's see. Forgotten Realms, Lord of the Rings, 
or Dresden Files. Okay, so I was a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I would reread them. I even read the footnotes. I did skip the songs, okay, because I, I just I couldn't I handle it. I skipped the songs too. So right, but um, I am now on book uh, seven of Dresden Files, and it's fantastic. So awesome. I just I'm like I got them through the library, and I've just been working through them all summer, and uh, they are great. They're very. Wait, good there were songs. How, how did I not know about these songs? Are you going to sing them for us, Doc? No, I said I skipped the song. She skipped them too. I don't sing. Remember, I'm did the one who. Did you skip them or black them out? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm the person okay. who, when they were like, special is small, come up here and sing cadence, I'd be like, oh, whips in chains. Small, back here. You're not allowed to sing. <laughs> they revoked yeah. your singing privileges. Uh, yeah, when you when the only uh, cadences you bother to memorize are the forbidden cadences that you're not supposed to sing in front of coeds. Like they started phasing them out because of women, and then when a woman starts singing them, they're like, "Oh shit, no!" I may have done it deliberately because I didn't want to have to sing cadence, but I did remember enough of them that if I they tried to call my bluff, I would still win. <laughs> so which one was your first love though as a fan because you already said which one was your first love as a writer sci-fi or fantasy as a fan my early stuff was all fantasy like whatever I could get at the library right so I for whatever reason it was all fantasy and I think you know I read Dragonlance books and Anne McCaffrey and Pern. And it definitely it's strong fantasy, sword and sorcery. If it had dragons, like I was all over it as a kid. So, so would you say that Pern is fantasy? I don't know. Now that I'm older and I look at it with that author's lens, I'm like, what was she doing there? Is it fantasy? Like pure fantasy? And she just I really think it falls in to fantasy. She really likes to use the fantasy tropes, but she definitely puts some science in it. But Anne was not a science major. She her degree was in languages, so uh yeah, I was a liberal arts major, so I like can't say. So, yeah, I, but I think now now we require much more science out of our liberal arts majors than when like Anne went to school. Well, and certain properties like you Brandon Sanderson talks about like the, the the laws of magic, right? So there is definitely like magic as a science, right? When it's rule based. So you can still feel those like constructs when you read certain works from him. Yes. I have read some of his works and I'm like, wow, wow, I'm taking science class. I wanted a break from science. <laughs> when I was getting my chemistry degree, I wanted a break from science. Sanderson was not the book to pick up. I thought you were just supposed to say thou shall not pass and like shoot a fireball out your hand. And that was all there was to it. That's yeah, a fantasy that trope for sure. Fireball you're shooting. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your first memory engaging in this genre of speculative fiction? Reading, playing a game, TV? You know, it's such a good question because I did also play games and I feel like, uh, the game aspect was also uh, a mix of both, right? So I, I played King's Quest and the Infocom games. So Infocom okay. had like leather goddesses of Phobos and like 
<laughs> Zork, right? And all these ridiculous things, which I think are kind of, you know, genre bending. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, what is it that you love about this genre of speculative fiction, particularly now because you're branching into not just Mill SF? Yeah, it's funny. Um, Michael Anderley once said to me, hey, Julia, I don't understand why you're not writing legal thrillers, right? He knows that my day job is that I'm a lawyer. And I just thought, I love like the wonder of um, the supernatural, right? So if there is not a- supernatural lawyer though. <laughs> That's true. I could be like Craig with his space, like judge, right? And jury and executioner, his like his space law series. Um, but it was such a great question uh -huh. that Michael asked me because, <laughs> ah, very nice. Because it did tell me like, oh, I love a mystical element, right? Something supernatural or something that pushes the boundaries of your imagination, right? Whether it's aliens who, you know, and how you interact with um, another species or whether or not it's a magical force that you can't explain, right? Those are things that are interesting for me. Yeah, but also I'm sure sometimes you just kind of want to, break from what your day job is well also that fair <laughs> yeah you know the readers get a vacation you do some maybe of, you need your vacation when you're writing <laughs> what they are and if you i was gonna say if you do some of the things we do to our characters in real life they kind of like to throw you in silver bracelets and put you in boxes with bars around them so uh, yes there's it's that. true um our body count is really high in our military sci-fi just like our profanity so Stuff like that probably frowned upon in so, one place. But I think that's on the kind of <laughs> On the anniversary of like the fur of the of a finishing of her series, and um, J.K. Rawlings does the apology for various characters she's killed. I oh. think with Julia and, and Ken, they like apologize for various regiments and planets that they killed. Well, Ringo has to apologize like, for remember Cochran. Earth. We're sorry about that. Remember, <laughs> remember when we had Ringo on, on shenanigans? He was like, I'd have to apologize to entire continents at a time. Well, I remember, yeah. I think it was Stephen King said in um, On Writing, his his autobiography, like he was writing The Stand and he couldn't figure out to do with one segment of the story. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to obliterate Colorado. Like he just blew up one whole <laughs> segment so that he'd only have to worry about two storylines instead of all three. <laughs> That is fair. Mm. That is a solution for sure, I think. So what is your body count? Oh, we haven't been keeping count. Maybe we need like a scoreboard. <laughs> like that uh, Hot Shots Part Two, where they got the little counter at the bottom, more kills than Rambo, more, you know, get one of those on your book. So if you're listening and you're a fan of her writing, you should just totally count that out for her and send her a little email. We'll put her show notes in the, in the contacts, or her contacts in the show notes. <laughs> So how did your love of speculative fiction and more specifically science fiction transition into you writing stories? Um, you know, spec fic is really great for short stories. And as an early writer, a short story is very manageable, right? So um, when you have either like one super natural element that you want to explore or one unexplained um, space element or you know, alien component, and you you just want to cover it in 10,000 words or less, I feel like it's a really natural fit. Um, I like to read uh, some, uh, like Asimov's or uh, Uncanny, right, or like Escape Pod. Like, I like short fiction for spec fic, right, and I feel like um, 
it's a good place to play with certain themes. Uh, and that's kind of how I got started. I, it, Alien Storm was, uh, was the result of a 5,000 word writing exercise. So it started out like, hey, imagine this scenario and then just write 5,000 words. And then I, I called my friend Ken and I was like, hey, why don't you write the next 5,000 words? And so we just started that way by like kicking it back and forth uh, with each other. And, you know, 105,000 words later, that was Alien Storm. <laughs> nice. I remember beta reading for you guys some of the early copies. Yeah, and and we um, didn't know that there was still more story to tell, which is why we were like, oh, I think there needs to be another one. And so uh, that was when we, we wrote uh, Alien Exile. So um, did you keep any of those um, early stories that you wrote? That um, I like, think Ken found one. Like Ken? from when we were 13. Like we wrote a sword and sorcery, like Merlin type story. And he said he found it like in his garage or something the other day. Um, and I awesome. was laughing cause I, I'm pretty sure he had like a daisy wheel printer. I don't know if you guys know what yeah, those no. are. I do. They're super loud. So he said he would like print these like stories we were writing and like it would just make such a racket. <laughs> So is that something you're going to release to your to your listeners in your newsletter or something at some point? Yeah. So I saw that Craig Martel has been sharing his early um, handwritten stories. And uh, I, I don't know. That's an act of courage. Like, I'm not sure that um, <laughs> Ken and I uh, are brave enough to put our early work out there in the world so people can see what our young writing Style I don't think Craig cares. I think he's just like, <laughs> whatever, here you go. More content. So when I would write when I was that age, because I tried to write, like, I really loved uh, Gilgamesh and Beowulf. So mm. I tried to write an epic poem. It was epically awful. I got lucky that, you know, being a Navy brat, we moved around so much, my mom chucked it. Because uh, I'd spend all the time on in the intro. And then by the time you got to the actual story part that anyone cared about, like, I'm okay, I'm done. And I'd write like three sentences and just like the end. I went through a phase. <laughs> so of I don't know if there'd be a lot to read. What's that? I went through a brief phase of writing poetry, but um, somewhere there are around. Yeah, I think there. it's. Oh, I might bribe your mom. So uh, I think it's kind of cool that you've been writing with him since you were kids. Because I, I don't know that I've, I've met any writing partnership that has been that ongoing where you've just been friends for life and just still like doing it. Yeah. Well, and now that I have a teenager, sometimes I'll say to him, you know, your friends are your friends now that you may have them for life. Um, so Ken and I grew up together. We went away for college. He went to UCLA and I went to Berkeley. He married his college sweetheart and settled down in Southern California. And, you know, we did that respectable thing because we're Gen Xers, you know, we got like a, a, a you know, a regular job to put food on the table and fast forward a few decades. And I, and I think we both never let go of that dream that, you know, really we should be writing. Um, we'd already done everything we were supposed to do, right? And our kids were getting bigger and Ken's almost an empty nester. So my kids are a little younger, but um, it meant he did have a little time in the evenings. And so our writing time was usually after dinner where we'd like call each other or I'd like email him. Um, and now we co-write together in a Google doc. 
So sometimes we're logged in at the same time and you see our little um, cursor like blinking and we're typing away. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting process. Kind of an interesting process. Cool. So many authors uh, let their own real life experiences influence the sort of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments you think that shaped you as a storyteller? Were it those uh, fevered typing on the keyboard when you were with Ken as kids? You know, um, when I was a kid, I think I liked horror more. Now I'm too scared to actually watch any horror, but that's because um, you have perspective on how scary <laughs> reality is already. So I remember that some of the shows that I love the most are the ones where you like want to hide under the covers or like you feel like you're going to run away from something that's really terrifying. And I don't know if you guys ever watched, I think it was called V. And it yes. was about aliens who look like freaking, humans, but they zip. Yeah. And they were lizards and they ate like rodents or whatever. So I remember thinking that show was so good and like, but it was also terrifying. And um, that was the feeling I wanted to convey when I was writing an alien invasion story, right? This notion of the unknown and these predatory aliens and how we would respond as humans. Right? Okay. That's a, that's a good answer. So um, normally we would ask about military service if it applies. Uh, no, and so when I we were doing the show prep for it, when we were doing the show prep for it, you gave us a you gave me a funny story about your connection to the military. So, so you want to share I said that? It, I think yeah, I said it was my first paid gig. So I won a writing contest when I was like nine or ten from the local VFW, and I wrote a speech about uh, the meaning of freedom. Um, and as immigrants, my parents had fled communism. I really had a, a very personal, you know, resonance for that theme. And it was so nice. Like, I just remember getting invited to the VFW and having lunch with these veterans who had, they had fought in the Korean War. And um, really, they had a lot of stories to share. And in fact, that's probably one of the uh, things that I enjoyed most in doing my research for military sci-fi is reading a lot of uh, biography biographical stories, like the things they carried and um, other uh, tidbits like that so that I could try and make it feel more human, right? The, the human experience, um, even though it's a futuristic war that I'm writing about. I think that there's think a certain- is a good one. Yes, beautiful I story. Think, I think there's certain aspects of vets that have not changed despite technology from even ancient times. So I can definitely see carrying over into the future for sure. Well, um, Brad Torgerson said something amazing. Uh, he was on a panel once and he was saying that uh, civilians probably had no idea, but so much of military life involved um, dealing with bureaucracy or managing bad instructions and yes. mistakes that happen above you or above your pay grade. And I yeah. thought that was really interesting too. Very much so. Um, it, but transitioning away from just writing, talking about things from a fan angle, what is the weirdest, funniest fan interaction you have? <laughs> so I'd heard, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who had written Eat, Pray, Love, say that, you know, sometimes like a fan would come up to her and say there was something like say something about her book that she had not written in her book. And 
given that Eat, Pray, Love sold 8 million copies, I never really expected something like that to happen to me. But I was talking to someone who'd read my book and she said, oh, that scene where you write about the cemetery. And I was like walking by that very cemetery. And oh my God, Julia, you did such a great job. I was like feeling the spooky vibes. And I'm thinking, that is awesome. Except there is no cemetery in my book. <laughs> I had written about Golden Gate Park and, and spirits like the undead coming through a portal coming out of Golden Gate Park. So maybe it felt like a cemetery to her. Which well, I in think the city. sometimes fans, I, I read so very, very much because with working in the lab, I'm listening to an audiobook and then I'm reading a book at night before I go to bed. And they're never the same book. Um, that sometimes you get kind of blender brained as a fan where you're like, it all comes in and then we splish and we get a smoothie out of it. But it also told me as a writer that like, but you in some ways, that. yeah, that the fan is having a feeling, right? They're yeah. having um, this movie in their head and, and uh, it's going to look different for each reader. Right. So, can you give us like the reader? Well, yeah. I just say the other part of that is is sometimes it's easy to forget, but once you write the novel, like what you meant to say, whatever that is, is done, and then everything else after how a book is is interpreted belongs to the reader. So they bring their own biases, their own worldview, their own experiences into it. So what you might have meant as a throwaway. To them, that might be what makes the book, and that might be, you know, their character or whatever. And for you, it was like, wait, that was just two sentences. So it's it's that's what makes writing so cool and reading so cool is it's it's it is a two way street. It isn't just you produce, they read, because that that creates that relationship. Yes, yeah, so true. Yes, I and see, mom, yeah. I did use my English degree. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> All those years for what thirty seconds. You hush. You're not on her side. I'll fire you. No, I'm not on her side. Okay. I got a real degree. Ouch. <laughs> so, uh. But then again, I am double stuffed on BS. So let's get back to Julia, because that is why she is here, not just to listen to us bicker. <laughs> Can you give us a Reader's Digest of... And, or a highlight reel of what you've done in your body of work? So um, the the two books in Cold War, we also wrote a prequel for it and a number of short stories that take place in the world. Um, recently, we started an urban fantasy series in San Francisco. So I've been calling it like Asian female John Wick meets Asian monsters. And it's been so much fun writing a series like that. Uh, we are two books in, we're outlining the third book. We've finished writing the prequel just last night. And Ken and I, um, we did so much research before for Cold War because I would do, I was doing things like reading um, the, the, the army's 50 year plan for helicopters, right? Like I was trying to forecast out the, the near future technology. And instead, now I get to research mythology for this urban fantasy. And that's just um, been, I guess, triggering a different part of my brain. And even seeing it in my head feels like, in some ways, it feels a little bit like an anime sometimes, like mm -hmm. when I'm like writing it. So I would say that's not the Reader's Digest version, but um, I get very excited talking about uh, our new well, series. 
before we get down into Cold War, and we'll definitely have you back to talk about your new urban fantasy, because I am totally psyched just off that little bit. Did you pull <laughs> from your, your parents' background and your heritage for that? You so know, it's funny because Ken and I are um, Asian American, so we like grew up reading Western literature. And so we've been doing a ton of research. And the one thing I did have, and I didn't even know it, was that my dad would tell me these wuxia stories when I was a kid. So like at night, right now, like I'll read Harry Potter to my son um, or Percy Jackson. But when I was my son's age, my dad would tell me these like martial arts stories, right? Which Ken and I are now reading translations in English as adults, you know, middle-aged reading them. And so it's, it's given us some common ground with our parents, which we didn't have before because we didn't grow up reading the same stuff. Um, it's been fun asking our parents uh, for help with research. And then actually Ken's older son has been doing a little bit of research assistant work for us too. Cause we'll say, hey, is there some kind of prophecy scroll that involves these things? If so, we'd like to use it in the story. And he'll like go out and do the research and come back and say, I found this. <laughs> That's awesome. So. But today we're going to focus on Cold Storm, Cold War, and Alien Storm. And where did you get the premise for this universe? Was it Ouija boards, bad psychedelics, um, um, strange I, herbal tea you got handed? Because I'm not going to um, admit to any psychedelics, although I did go to Berkeley. Um, so what, what I would say is that Berkeley uh, vitamins. We'll call them Berkeley vitamins. Um, <laughs> Right, supplements. Um, so, so Alien Storm came about because uh, Ken and I had like a deep love for the first contact, like the alien invasion story. So we did um, also collect comics when we were younger. And so there was like this Aliens versus Predator series that we loved um, that were graphic novels. And so for sure, that was a heavy influence, like the, the art of Geiger from Aliens also. Uh, I love Geiger. Absolutely love Geiger. Right. Much it's better than so Alien. dark. And, you know, maybe Prometheus as a movie had some problems, but the visuals <laughs> uh, were stunning um, and very much in our minds as we were writing uh, Cold War. And the notion of, of having um, a more unified approach to dealing with aliens, like, would that be true? Like, what would it look like in a hundred years? And so these were the kinds of questions we were trying to answer in that story. Very cool. Um, before we dig in, we're gonna talk about your cover and JR's gonna put that up because he loves me. Thank you, JR. So I absolutely love this cover because for one on a bookshelf, it stands out because <laughs> it is very white and snowy, which, Reminds me of snow and I hate snow because I'm Southern, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm honest. I'm Southern. I don't do snow, but I think it's an awesome, it, it does provide some great challenges, but I love this cover. So can you tell us about how this came about? So this is a recover. Our first cover we loved, but when we uploaded, it was really dark and Amazon and the other e-tailers will flatten out some of the really dark images. And so because our story has this uh, terraforming element to it, right, that the aliens have um, 
been reshaping Earth to suit their own habitat needs, which causes this icy climate change to happen. Um, we wanted a white cover the second time around. And I had attended Kevin J. Anderson's um, Superstars Writing Conference, and I met an artist there, and they were really talented. And so this this cover from a time was was from an artist that I met in person and uh, I was delighted. I love this cover so much. And it's funny, later when I shared it on other cover groups, someone was like, oh, your protagonist looks, looks like Kim Kardashian, which hadn't occurred to me at the time that we got the cover, but now I can't unsee that. I don't really see it, but then again, um, I don't follow the Kardashians. I, so I don't either, which could be why I didn't. See so I have a either. <laughs> weird story about the Kardashians. So I was in basic training when they became like big and popular and AIT. And um, I have a bit of a hearing issue. So when I heard everybody said Kardashians, I thought they were saying Kardashians. And I was very confused. <laughs> so... Uh, I really wish it was Cardassians. It would have been much cooler for the world. I think not to rag on, on a bunch of females, but um, Cardassians are really evil, but also cool. Well, so. uh, one can't argue with their success and their fan base. So uh, I, I do think they were very early in the influencer game oh, for sure. Yeah. I just never, I, I it took me probably till now to understand why people cared. <laughs> that sounds really mean. I just, I, I always kind of put like celebrities and their works in two different categories in my head. Yeah. I haven't been a big reality TV show watcher. I'm like, uh, like we were talking earlier. I, I love science fiction and fantasy. JR knows that I also was a huge like Stargate fan. So uh, reality TV would never make it on my list of no. viewing. Um, I know the only time reality TV ever made it on my list was the real housewives of Atlanta. And uh, <laughs> only because I was stationed at Fort bliss. I couldn't come home because I, and I was high risk pregnant, when I couldn't even fly home to mm. Atlanta. So I'd like get really emo and I'd turn it on and I'd mute them. So I did, cause I didn't want to hear them talk. <laughs> And I just wanted like the visuals of home. Like, That's fair. My, my ex would come in, look at me and go, oh God, it's one of those days, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm like, just leave me alone. Yeah, no, it was bad. But on to more fun stuff. What is your 30 second elevator pitch for this book? If you want about, if you want to read about um, scary monsters who are fighting tough, tough military folks who um, are also in the snow, I feel like this this is the one that has all of those things, right? It's got the icy terrain with the special gear. It's futuristic. It has the strong female protagonist um, who you know is fighting against terrible odds, right? Terrifying aliens. Um, this is this is the story that we uh, we think packs that one two punch, right? Awesome. And I will say, if you if you do read it, you're going to need a cup of something warm because you'll feel cold. Yeah, uh, there's a reason I don't live up north. There's a yeah, I had that so, problem reading uh, Larry Niven's Fallen Angels. I it just made me want to like 
turn on the heat, which in Savannah, Georgia is a bad idea. So and Larry's a great happen. guy, but he's not here today. So, <laughs> so Julie, what makes your series special? Because Alien Storm is not a standalone novel. It, that's true. We did uh, feel like there was more story to tell. So in Exile, it picks up five years later, our hero has been in, in exile herself because of her transformation that happens in Alien Storm. Um, and she's been exiled up in the icy um, regions. So it's about her re-entry into this world and whether or not there's room for someone like her. And she still needs to be a hero. Um, and there's a trapped alien, which, you know, one of the tropes I totally love is like the um, ancient evil awakens right? Uh, sometimes you see it even in, uh, of all things, the Transformers movie, right? Uh, so, yes. the, so that is what drives Alien Exile, this, the, the evil awakens. And so she is called to service one more time. Okay. So uh, other than the evil awakens, what uh, tropes do you feel like um, this story hits best? Um, well, her arc is is from solo to uh, a team, right? So it's kind of got more of like a Guardians of the Galaxy vibe towards the end. So I do feel like it is, instead of the hero's journey, it's the heroine's journey, which strangely, now that I'm reading um, uh, Harry Dresden, it is also the heroine's journey, right? Harry is stronger when he has allies, right? So he has like, the Fae, right? So he has um, alliances with like the Summer Queen and he has his half brother from, from the vampire court. And he has these allies that he's picking up along the way. And that's really the heroine's journey, which we didn't consciously know we were writing that at the time when we did Alien Exile, but that's, and that's the direction it ended up going. Yeah, there's actually different story structures. The heroine's journey is, is more of an Eastern thing actually. The idea I had no idea. Better. Right. And I, I love so. that because as an author, what it means is that your character, your protagonist um, needs to have other interactions, like needs more characters in your story, which is very fun as a writer, right? To be able to introduce more characters. Um, but in the traditional hero's journey, your hero is stronger when they're alone, right? So um, yeah. Wonder Woman, for example, is... That has the traditional hero's journey. She's stronger when she is alone, right? So she doesn't fight with the Amazons, right? And she can't have Steve in her recent movie, right? She's stronger without him. So her path is very different. So Doc, I want you to write this down. Number two today that I got to use that English degree, but we're going to move on. So what we'll genre mark it or on a calendar. <laughs> Thank you. Just that's all I could ask for. Uh, so what genre or subgenres, other than the military science fiction you mentioned, do you feel like uh, Alien Wars, a Cold War alien storm fits into the best? There is definitely a horror element to it. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a lot of the reader feedback that we got was like, oh, it was really scary. Like, oh, there was like a horror element to it. And now I would say that um, that's a fair classification. I think so, sci-fi okay. well, we lends itself to having a horror element without becoming horror, mm -hmm. much more than like a fantasy novel with a horror element, which then almost immediately takes it to people's brain as 
horror versus fantasy. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, yep. I think so many of um, movies like cinema have that element, right? So like Event Horizon was like pitched as haunted house in space, right? It very much is haunted house in space. I would not, okay, I still want to go on a spaceship. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless. I, I, if Space Force offered me a job, I'd take it. And JR would mock me, but so, I'd It's okay. I won't mock you. So uh, what is it about military? Don't go there. That's just evil. Um, that's how you get a horror movie. That's how Cthulhu rises. So uh, what is it about yes. military science fiction specifically that appeals to you? I think, you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but the, the notion of heroes and freedom fighters, right? We love to read about a hero. Um, and we love people who are doing maybe the wrong things, but for the right reasons. Um, and so that was yeah. the attraction for me. So onto the story itself. Can you tell us a bit about your main character and what makes her unique in the crowded field of science fiction? Cause she definitely seems really awesome, but I'm partial to the female characters. I think that she is like the reluctant leader who um, does a lot of things for duty in the beginning, right? And um, as a rule follower myself, you can see that maybe that's a little bit of the influence that's in the story that, that Alvarez is someone who follows rules, like follows instructions, follows command. But what happens when the chaos of you know the, these predatory aliens makes that impossible? Right. And what will you do to save the people you care about? Right. What will you um, what decisions will you make? How will you change in order to still be a hero? But at the end of the day, maybe people would look at you like a monster. I definitely think well, there are times. Model hmm? Go ahead. I was going to say, I definitely think there's times, particularly as a female vet, where you do something sometimes and it's like, even if a guy did it, it's worse because a female did it for some reason. Yeah, and, there, there are those notions, right? Which we yeah. can break down when we're writing. Wait, we get to uh, push the envelope and the reader will come along with us. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. I'm totally buying the book. Wait, I already bought the book. Never mind. Yay. <laughs> so so did, you, did you model the main character off to anyone specifically uh, either historic or, or otherwise? Uh, actually, I grew up with uh, somebody that I nicknamed Superman and uh, Ken and I grew up with him and he was so focused on uh, his, his plans to go to Annapolis and he did so much to get there um, and to be a hero and he, be, he became a fighter pilot and he was flying F-18s and then he was in the war and he was gone a lot but uh, I did always keep some of those qualities of his in my mind when I was trying to uh, write my protagonist uh, and just remember like the things that might have motivated my friend might be the same motivations that my uh, protagonist would have and when you pick your character because when you I found when you're writing with co-authors and you want to keep the descriptions uniform, sometimes it helps to say the model for the, the character will be actor or model X, just uh, uh, someone to have a picture of so you can both reference. 
and describe the same person. Did you have anyone like that when you were writing this character? Um, we didn't until later. So we didn't for the for here for the hero, which is kind of strange. We started having that for the side characters. Awesome, because we were about ready to ask you about the side characters too. Uh, so so Ken and I have two favorite uh, side characters, uh, Sasha and Mac. Um, Ken makes limbs like he has a cybernetics degree from grad school. So he wow. makes limbs. And so Sasha has a prosthetic arm that she is nicknamed Ripper. And um, <laughs> she, I love that. and I don't know why the side characters always capture our hearts as, uh, as, as writers and as fans, but uh, she's very distinctive and entertaining. And so is Mac. Um, and so even our editor, when he would read our rough drafts and our manuscript, he would be like, I love Mac. Or he'd be like, I love this section with Sasha. And so I would say that they uh, came alive for us in a way that was very unexpected when we were drafting. Um, Ken and I are kind of discovery writers. Like we're not exactly pantsers, but in, in some ways this, this work, uh, we did a lot more pantsing. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Um, so does your story have any bad guys that you can tell us about without giving away any spoilers? Um, so we structured it like a video game where okay. you start off fighting like the lower level monsters and then you got to get to the end of the level and you got to fight the boss monster. So, you know, the villain is the boss monster, but you could look at it, uh, JR, like your English degree would say is a uh, man versus nature, right? <laughs> In this case, man versus the supernatural, right? I'll take it. <laughs> He's looking for whatever okay. he can to validate that degree, man. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, so speaking of uh, characters, so if you, you did a lot of horrible things to these people in your novel. So if you ever met them in a back alley and they knew that you were Julia V, one of the co-creators of the world that tortured them so, um, how do you see that interaction playing out? And do you think you'd come out alive? Um. It depends who I met in the back alley. If it were Jones, maybe I wouldn't make it, right? But if it were, if it were Alvarez, I think uh, she had such a long, hard road that at the end we gave her the wisdom to understand that that, that journey was inevitable. Okay, a little bit of fatalism, I like it. So finally, um, in many series that the worlds are told, the story is as much a character as the antagonist and the protagonist, man versus the universe, man versus nature, et cetera. So can you give us a hint of what we can expect from this expansive universe you've created? Um, that we send her on her next leg of the journey. Um, and you know, as a reader, you can be satisfied that, that there's this exploration of the universe that's gonna happen, right? Um, but as a, as a writer, we looked at it like what the aliens had done in terraforming Earth um, was was sort of this new ice age, right? And um, that's a slightly different uh, kind of scientific, it had a different scientific impact on, on uh, good old Mother Earth. But for, for the cast of characters, they did 
they do end up having this exploration element where they leave and they get to see the other worlds that have been um, transformed by these same aliens um, in their, in, in kind of like a reverse leg journey. Did you go ADD? It helps when you, it helps when you're not muted. Um, such a boomer thing to do. Uh, so Cold War Alien Storm is clearly part of the series. I know because it says so on the mighty uh, Oracle of all things good and right and proper. Bezos, if you're listening, we can do a plug. Um, but it's you also told us yourself that there are two books in the series. So is their story done? Do you think there could potentially be more from these characters? I think that. Um, uh, we could write the next leg of the journey if we wanted to pick up the thread of the world again. But I think readers could be satisfied that it was complete. So between the prequel, Cold Storm, and I mean Cold War, um, Alien Storm, and then Alien Exile, it could be seen as a finished story. Um, but you know, if I need a palate cleanser from urban fantasy, I could see myself, you know, jotting down the beginning of uh, book three potentially. Okay. So uh, we know that every literary universe, at least the good ones, have their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So what sort of tech can we expect from these books? Uh, the, the tech that we were um, really interested in for these aliens is that it's, it's more organic in nature, right? So it has a more biological feel to it. Right, so instead of metal, it really looks alive. Like even the ship feels alive, like it's a breathing, living ship. So that's the kind of direction we went for the look and feel and the aesthetics of uh, this world. Awesome, so we're going to talk some of my favorite questions. I, I know, I get so excited and so silly. So of all the tech in your, that you invented in your universe, which one would you want to have for daily use? Um, I definitely would like to have that ship that would fly me around that I could be like psychically connected to and give instructions to. That's much better than a Tesla, right? <laughs> nice. So how would you abuse if that? You're, if you're listening, Bezos, I still want a Tesla. <laughs> Daddy Musk is going to save us all. He's going to get us well, to Mars. I was just thinking like I could skip the line um, at the school drop-off you know, this fall, right? Yes. I could just oh like have the ship and oh kind of so hover long. us over and get us right to the classroom, right? Yeah, carpool line, so You're long. You're starting to sell me more and more. <laughs> so. I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking. Now you've mentioned aliens a couple times in your book, but do we see the aliens? Like in the book? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Okay. They're not off screen. They are vividly on screen. So how did you go about creating these aliens? Was it nature inspired, whole cloth, um, a bug nightmare? Um, yeah, well, okay, I am terrified of bugs, but I, um, I think that Ken and I looked at a lot of art. Um, we looked at a lot of the Geiger art. We had our own thoughts of what makes an alien terrifying right one of them is strangely i think the more humanoid like if it has two arms and two legs 
that's scary, scarier, right? Because it's like the uncanny valley. Like you see the similarities, but also feel the differences. Um, the enormous size, right? If they're physically gigantic, um, that's also terrifying. Uh, and one thing that we kind of went back and forth on was language, like mm -hmm. understanding them or not understanding them. And we went with not understanding them. Um, I think for us, that was a decision that was calculated so that they are uh, again, more scary, right? Yeah. No, I think it is very difficult and very scary to interact with somebody, even, even somebody else who's human, who just their entire concept is so different. It's like a different language. It can be yeah. scary and intimidating well, because and even also, if you mean well, you're like afraid of accidentally misstepping. Right. So that whole thing that as humans we rely on is like understanding body language and reading cues. You can't do that necessarily with oh, yeah. um, a, an alien race. Right. And so that, that was another thing that we figured was important to showing how far this divide was. It wasn't like you could have some sort of peace treaty with these aliens. <laughs> yeah. You have to come to a mutual understanding for a peace treaty and that makes it so mm -hmm. much harder. Well, this is military sci-fi. It's so it's peace through superior firepower. That's how we get it. No, treaty. it's called preventive medicine, JR. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you were the grunt or you were not the grunt. You were the doc, but yes. All yes. right. Now you get to ask her how she would abuse the technology because I want to hear. I already it. did. She said car skipping carpool lines. That's not abusive enough. That's just everyday parenting. Like who wouldn't do that? I want something juicier. Oh. oh. See, I that's still that's too that's too choir girl. Like you could do better. I know you. Look can. at her. She's a wonderful, innocent person. You know, bottom line, I'm still this like suburban mom. <laughs> so, so I see this technology and I'm like, oh, this could make my life easier by skipping like the carpool line. You know, I totally get that. And besides, JR, you don't understand how how mean and nasty those moms that you skipped ahead of are. Yeah, that line is terrifying sometimes. I actually went to a school where they had to send a letter home. So it was a private school and they had like the, the middle school and the elementary school and the high school and high schoolers had to go down a hill to get and cross the carpool lane because they started earlier in the day than mm. the elementary school. And they actually had to send letters home to the parents to slow down because we, uh, my friend, I watched their backpack got clipped by a carpool cop mom. Car. Okay. See, totally justified in my use no. of alien technology. No, no, you just don't understand how nasty <laughs> the carpool mobs are, Jr. That's your problem, not ours. Fair I enough. Really my kids ride the bus. Exaggerating right now. But I, I don't have those problems. I just I stand at the bus stop. They get on the bus. Bada bing, bada boom. They're you off to school. Nice. You, you lazy, awesome dad. But seriously. <laughs> All right, so I'll take your word for it, and I will write that into my next horror novel. So uh, clearly, uh, we're, we're winding things down. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about um, Cold War Alien Storm that we didn't uh, ask that you want to tell us about? I think um, one of the things I just wanted to share is that the theme always comes down to, like, what makes you a monster, 
right? Is it is it because you look like one or because you act like one? And so that's one of the questions of Cold War. That is a very fair question. So the uh, I looked because I'm an audio person when this came out and I, it is out in audible. So how did you come about picking your, your narrator? Oh, I love Luke Daniels. He's just incredible. Um, he did such a good job with like the characters and um, the nuances, the accents. He's hilarious with accents. Um, I also listen to a ton of audiobooks, and I would say that in military science fiction, if you, have the opportunity to work with a giant in the industry like R.C. Bray or Luke Daniels or um, Ray Porter, just jump at it. I know I've ha I have several books that he's narrated. I'm just trying to remember which ones they are right now. So bad. So, so was this um, one that you contracted out to like uh, Tantor or Podium, or did you? No, I just reached out to him directly. Yeah. And uh, the amazing thing was when I was looking for the woman uh, narrator, the, the voice, I, I um, had listened to a lot of samples on um, Audible and I said, you know, I love Christine Vam and Luke knew her. So he just, he's like, oh, okay, I'll reach out to her and see if she wants to do the, the female part. Um, so I really lucked out. Yeah, I have several books narrated by both of them. They do nice jobs, they really do. She's so great. She so Christine does the um, Faith Hunter series, the Jane mm -hmm. Yellow Rock, and then I think she even does some David Weber work. So uh, not Honor Harrington, but it's a, a different series, I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm listening to one of them. Yeah, no, uh, one of my favorite, where I I was like, wow, uh, Aftershocks is one by Luke Dan Daniels. I'm trying to, I, I'm like so bad because I'm like, I, I'm going to just look up and my audio. So you got lucky then to get Luke Daniels because he's a busy person. He, um, I he is so busy and he got an, ex I think he ended up going exclusive with Podium after too. So I don't know yeah, what it's at this like. Point, he is the voice of Richard Fox too. <laughs> Oh, that's true, right? So, For the Ember War series. So he does, yeah, he yeah. does a great job with that series. I mean, I, I read uh, Richard's books and then I ended up getting some of the audio books for them and they were wonderful. So what made you decide to do the, the dual narration? Because I've always thought that that could be entertaining when you have like a, a male, female, yin, yang um, main characters that it would work for. I also know that's a risky maneuver because some people do not like that. So what made you decide to take that that chance? Uh, it, it was actually um, a difficult decision. I, I went back and forth with um, my co-author Ken about it. He listens to so many audiobooks also. And he, he said that he thinks multicast can be challenging for the reader, but because we had it um, by POV, it kept it a little bit easier for the reader to follow that it's like yeah. an entire chapter. So it's not like in a scene that there's a female and male narrator. It's, it's that the actors each have their own chapters. So that makes it a little cleaner. Um, so I think that's why we were able to do it. Oh no! I well, you got I like lucky because I know at least. Hmm. I would say I would say you got lucky because at the time this came out, um, 
Christine Vam, I think is how you say her name. She had just mm-hmm. won some audiophile mm-hmm. awards. And Luke Daniels was was pretty popular. So you got some really high powered narrators. Oh, I did I did oh, dig man. it. She does yes. the the um Stephanie Harrington series, A Beautiful Friendship by David. So yeah. Which yeah. is Luke at one point, I think, was one of the most prolific voice actors on Audible. Yeah. Like he was uh, featured on like the cover or whatever their banner page. He he definitely like I did a, a quick poke at my Audible app and uh, I I bought more than a few Luke Daniels narrations. Yeah. So. Okay. So and, uh, uh, one of the other reasons. Go ahead. You can drool about Luke Daniels. He'll like it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. He writes my favorite. He, he narrates my favorite lit RPG series. So, which is by Luke Camicolo. I think I'm saying his name right. I would not have been able to pronounce that name right. So we'll just pretend you that you did. And I, I, had on, him, so. I had him repeated to me like four or five times. I didn't know how it was pronounced. I had to think really hard when you said so, that. I was like, oh, I've been saying it wrong all this yeah, time. Yeah, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. But he is probably, he's Canadian. So he's probably too nice to correct me. But his writing partner, Bryce O'Connor, will correct me because I've asked him to. So, um, but yeah. So he has, one he of the reasons... Okay, so one of the reasons we had you here was it was in the uh, the story bundle for military science fiction. So you want to tell us a little bit about that, uh, what the story bundle is, if anyone hasn't heard and they haven't listened to the last ten episodes we've been airing. Okay, so um, if you are a whale reader, like I think most of us are, these story bundles are incredible, right? Like you get in, and for some bargain price, like fifteen dollars, it's just like hundreds of hours of entertainment right so many authors get packed in together and there's always a theme right so this theme was the military sci-fi bundle and so you get um i think tiers right so you can pay like like into the bonus and get the Mm -hmm. rest of the books which is so worth it and uh it's one of those uh things it's funny ben ben stevens is also in this bundle with sjr and he and i are like private messaging because we're like fangirling over the other people in the bundle like it's very exciting for us to be uh able to also read the other books in the bundle because uh you know we're writers um second readers first right so uh i would say that these are always a deal like i i really appreciate these bundling services um like humble i think it's called bundle rabbit or humble bundle like there's a couple other ones too in addition to this yeah story bundle Bundle, i think is for games Humble Bundle is for games. Story Bundle is amazing. I'm biased. I only own 25 Story Bundles. So there are 19 novels total in this collection. Um, Eight of them you can get for under $15 if you pledge below that. Uh, You get 11 more if you pledge at the $15 mark or higher. Then you can uh, determine the percent. The standard default is 70 to the authors, 30% to... um, to the, the charity and such, but you can, you can maneuver around how you do that. The cool thing is this year, the charity is the challenger uh, foundation, which was created after the, the tragic loss of the, the spacecraft. And it is a, it is an organization that is deter- dedicated to reaching um, people that might not get access to high education when it comes to the sciences. So school systems that don't have the best 
resources for the for the labs and such and it gets them exposure with hands-on training early on because that's really how you catch kids with science you have to make it hands-on and fun and tangible because like you can read about an atom but that's not as exciting as or, or a chemical will use that because doc plays with drugs and chemicals and stuff okay, reading but about an atom it, is never fun but reading and doing about a chemical doing with chemicals much right so the hands-on is what i was trying to get for but i don't know if they get any hands-on with atoms yet i'm not that sciencey we don't but uh, the whole point was that atoms that's still by a computer simulation at best but that that's what we keep you around for to tell us these things but so like it's, it's hands-on for kids and it gets them hooked on science at an early age and in a world where like overseas something like 75 percent of people want to be astronauts of the youth when they uh and, and scientists and such. And then in America, we're at 75% want to be Instagram influencers or, or YouTube influencers. I think anything that's pushing back into useful skill sets and science does great things for the world. I think that's a, it's a glorious thing. So I think it's really cool that that happens to be the charity they picked for, for this bundle. Um, so, and I know, in fact, one of the authors we interviewed used to, used to work with the Challenger mission. And I think Kevin J. Anderson is still I can marry. Yeah. Kevin Eikenberry. Yeah, Eikenberry was the one. Yeah. Thank you for being my memory. You get you get to stay another day. We won't fire you today. <laughs> so the uh but yeah, so I think it's really cool that they that for, of all the charities that they could have done, like that one just seems kind of cool. I like it. So all right. So uh before I ramble on and bore everybody, can you tell us uh the listeners and viewers how they can find you on the interwebs? So I try to keep things simple. It's juliav.com. Uh, and uh, I'm on Facebook quite a lot. I occasionally log into Twitter, but I would say the best way uh, to interact with me is usually through Facebook. So Julia V. Writes is my author page on Facebook. Okay. And you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. Mostly I just forward uh, interesting science articles and our episodes there. I don't interact as much, but, but I do check it. Uh, we get notified if somebody messaged us there. So feel free to reach out if you're a Twitter user. Uh, we, you can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can send your weekly hate mail to uh, Nick at Blasters and Blades Podcast because he's not here to defend himself. And you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment sections that's for the podcast. Or um, we recently found out you can support us over on anchor.fm with a monthly pledge, much like a Patreon system works. Uh, and that helps keep the light on, pay for the uh, the services to keep the podcast going because it doesn't come for free. And uh, any over that will uh, keep Nick and, and Doc duly intoxicated while I'll be their sober driver. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bring us home, Doc. Thank you for spending your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, who better be writing me a comic, J.R. Handley, and I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week same time same place we're in where we will indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes torturing jr picking at nick and then they're bantering with each other have fun